0: We'll be Welcome everyone to this episode of Connections Healthy Gambling and Gaming Podcast. I am your host, Tana Russell, Assistant Director with the Evergreen Council on Problem Gambling. And very excited for this episode, our last episode of 2021. I don't know how many we've got this year, but it feels like a lot. And I'm excited for more to come. And of course, I am joined today Uh, guest co-host Maureen Greeley, our very own executive director.
1: Thanks, Tana. I'm really excited to be here. I'm always excited to, to participate when I can. But I think at the end of the year is a really special time to be a part particularly this year, because we are smack dab in the middle of our 30th anniversary celebration year. So we're not only celebrating 2021, but we're celebrating 30 years. So looking forward to sharing some highlights from this past year, as well as looking forward to 2022 and maybe even, I hope, the next 30 years. So lots of great things have happened. Uh, not the least of which is joining you all in this kind of great digital format. So I'm excited to be able to participate.
0: And you'll also get to hear us embarrass Rob just a little bit in this episode. Welcome today. We're going to tell you a little bit about some of the things we are uh, super proud of that have happened this year. And we couldn't do that without having our partner, I almost said partner in crime, but you know, that might send the wrong message. Um, Our partner in successful programs joining us, Roxanne Waldron with the state program. Roxanne, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Sure. I'm, as you said,
2: Roxanne, and I'm the program manager for the state problem gambling program. And we're located within the division of behavioral health and recovery in the healthcare, um, Authority. And I've been in the position about three years, and I'm really
0: happy to be here today. So thank you for including me. Awesome. So let me just ask off the bat I'll get, I had. if I start, I might go on for like the first half hour. Um, what, what are some things that come to mind for, for the two of you as far as whether it's events, programs, services, whatever, something that's happened? between January 2021 to now that you are super proud of?
2: Well, do you want me to jump in, Tana? I can do that. Uh, For the state program, as you know, we've had the ongoing Problem Gambling Task Force that's been meeting since January of 2020. And our first meeting was in person, but ever since then, we've been meeting online, as you know, as you're part of it. And um, I've been really excited with how the uh, task force has been working together to refine the ideas that we have for recommendations to the legislature around how to improve our services in Washington State. So really excited about that. But really a big piece of that work is the uh, Washington State Adult Problem Gambling Prevalence Study. And that was supposed to take place last summer, uh, a year ago, over a year ago. But because of the pandemic, we decided to hold off on that because it was very difficult to think about how we would do a study um, during the pandemic. So this year we were able to complete it. We had a good response rate. So I'm very proud of that and really excited about the results.
1: And I have to jump in and say that I'm really proud of the Problem Gambling Task Force as well. Now, what Roxanne administers that and makes it happen, but that's a wonderful wildly diverse group of people from all areas in our state, whether it's tribal or industry or nonprofit or recovery, and that's made it a very valuable group to bring together. I'm proud that our Evergreen Council has had three representatives to that task force since its beginning, both from our board and from our staff. And probably even more important, really excited that we were able to contribute to the success of the prevalence study by supporting bringing Rachel Volberg from Gemini Research in, who is one of the preeminent researchers in the field of gambling prevalence, both in the United States and in other countries. So, you know, when you talk about the task force, there's been a, a lot of really good work. And I think that. We've worked carefully with the health care authority and the gambling commission to be a leader in, in helping that be successful.
0: And I want to add one thing that has really stuck out to me about that collaboration of those on the task force is how much they really have listened when members on the task force have spoken up and said, hey, making these recommendations to the legislature is great, but there's work we need to do now. And there's work that's going to continue after this task force has accomplished its original goal. And when we talk about problem gambling, it's more than just gambling. We need to pave the way to include gaming in this as well and getting some gaming related questions added to the prevalence study and it just being a recurring uh, topic in just the general conversation. I think it's been really great to see how people have have taken that to heart. Um, Oh, and another one is the understanding that this prevalence study is done under unusual circumstances (laughs) being that it's in COVID. And there's, uh, I've also appreciated that people are recognizing, okay, it's great and we want to make sure we get continuing data further on. And so we don't have this gap of 98 to 2021
1: <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah, both, both Roxanne and I are shaking our heads. Yes, and nobody can see that. But <laughs> I, I think it's important to know that the people who are most invested in this are people who this is long term. This is not a you join a task force and you're done. Now, it's wonderful to have so many people together, but there's going to be a core group of people. This is our lives. This is our livelihoods. This is our passion who want to make sure this is the beginning of a process that will lead us into the future in how state agencies and nonprofits and policymakers work together. And, and that's a really I'm very proud of the state of Washington for that, because that doesn't just happen in every state. We've we've always been a leader in Washington. And it's nice that we still are. Yeah, I would agree with that, Maureen. Um,
2: I know that as the only person in my program in the state of Washington, it is a small program and there are other states that have um, quite larger programs. And then there are some states that don't have programs at all. So we are fortunate to have a program, but I know that working on my own at times has been really challenging. And so having a group of people that meet meet regularly and um, are working on figuring out where the gaps in service are, and making recommendations about how to overcome those barriers and um, looking at the future of this has been a wonderful experience for me because I don't on a day-to-day have someone that I can bounce those thoughts off of questions and having a great big group of people who coming from different areas and different sectors uh, from recovery, from clinical side, from um, agency side, from nonprofit side, Um, you know, uh, peers and community members. I feel like that's been amazing because as one person, I'm not going to come up with all those great ideas. And so um, my joy has been being able to help facilitate that and write down what everybody's saying and figure out how we wanna report that back to the legislature. um, So the report, as you know, is due in November of 2022, and that will include um, what we're envisioning as robust recommendations that will go back to the legislature, as as you know, um, so our next task, and this is what I'm excited about in 2022 around this, is uh, with the problem gambling task force. Is where we've now completed the first uh, the the phase where we've figured out with our work groups. We have three to three different work groups that have been working on um, figuring out what might be good to push forward in terms of recommendations. Now that their work is completed and they've really refined those recommendations, the next piece is taking the data from the gambling uh, problem gambling prevalence. Day And then combining that with other information that we're gathering and then looking at our recommendations in the light of this data and figuring out um, how and what we want to recommend to go forward um, as the problem gambling task force looks at this. Uh, what, what's going to make it into that final recommendation list, what um, you know, what we will maybe recommend for the future, but not immediately. So it's been a really great opportunity. So I'm really excited for what uh, spring 2022 is going to bring around that work and continuing into next fall.
0: And if we could pivot for a second, I'd love to talk about one of our collaborative projects, which was the not just a PGAM campaign because it went longer than, than March, um, but the awareness campaign and the youth have the power to
1: make a difference. Maureen,
0: do you want to share the story of how that youth have the power? Absolutely.
1: To be? Absolutely. You know, We have had a relationship with Rob Maya long before he became an employee of our council, and we're thrilled that for the last two years plus he has been a full time employee. But when he came to us um, with the idea that he might be the right person for our social media and PR specialist position, I had given every candidate a homework assignment to come back with their idea of a campaign that would meet one of the target audiences we had they could choose their audience they could choose their theme i really wanted them to take it from ground zero and and really show me what they they had and rob came to the interview with this beautiful campaign called youth have the power to and i fell in love with it so Needless to say, Rob was hired into that position back. He can't ever leave. And we made that campaign a reality because I thought it was so strong. And I think it is so strong that it will continue on for years. I think you can do so much with that theme and you can change it out and you can make it different. And that's really what you need to do with youth is constantly change things to keep their attention and keep them coming back to interact with you. So it was a great campaign.
0: I agree. And it's tickling me that Rob is not even turning on his camera or microphone. He'd rather just (laughs) hide in the virtual meeting (laughs) space as we talk him up. But yeah, it's really a great campaign. And let me just say, how do we know that it's been (laughs) successful? So I pulled up our YouTube page right now. I've got it in front of me. So uh, there's four different youth have the power to Uh, PSAs to 15 seconds to 30 seconds. Most of our YouTube videos, which we now have also very proud of this, uh, several on our YouTube page, which is fantastic. They get lots of uh, uses. Most of our views are less than 100 per video, right? But for this particular campaign, the one with the least views is at 374, which for us is pretty good. But One of them is over 27,000 views and the other is 29,000 views. So when you talk about measuring impressions and things in social media, that's really, really good numbers for this campaign, getting views and and reaching people. And of course, the idea is it reaches um, people. And for some, it might just be inspiration. And for others, it might be that motivation to is always get help to the right people who might need it at the right time. Um, So yeah, super, super excited about that.
1: Well, and I think it plays to the, the aspect of how important gambling and gaming awareness and prevention are. And we are in a field that has struggled for so long to get beyond the barriers and beyond the stigma So I think we have a new generation who may be more open and less prone to buying into the stigma. And we may see some changes in our field in the coming years because of that, because these are generations who have grown up with gaming and gambling since they were babies, literally. I mean, little little mini laptops and little video games. And so this is a generation, it's a part of their culture. And we're hoping that that means the the prevention and the awareness and the treatment and the recovery will easily fit in as a part of their culture as well.
0: And I just got to say for a lot of the young people I have met in the past few years, um, they are the ones that are inspiring to me, you know, just so motivated and thinking about life in ways I really don't think I was thinking about when I was 15, 16, 17 years old, Uh, you know, so it's just really great to have a, to meet young people that are willing to be the ones to make a difference within their own peer group.
1: I agree. And I think that's one of the wonderful partnerships with HCA is Roxanne has been able to bring, even though she is a, a division of one, she has colleagues and partners within HCA that specialize in prevention and particularly prevention with youth. And Roxanne, I'd love it if you would talk a little bit about the people you've introduced us to because you've helped develop collaborations that we might not have had otherwise. Yeah,
2: I'm happy to do that. I. I- one of the struggles that i've had in coming into this position is as you know and it's true in you know some states um, many states, actually, unfortunately, in terms of funding, is because there's no federal funding, our program is siloed. We're kind of siloed between, you know, outside of mental health and outside of substance use disorder. And so building those bridges, even when the funding bridge is not in place, is important. And so that's been a focus that I've had. And so what's been wonderful, Maureen, is working with um, ECPG, working with you and Tana and Rob, and then also myself getting you know introducing myself to the prevention staff at uh division behavioral health and recovery because they have a quite large prevention unit and um adult treatment services which is what what i'm under um you know we we tend not to interact with them so far you know so frequently because i think that the view has been that prevention it's way upstream we are way downstream with treatment but Truth be told, you know, the the problem gambling program actually expands, you know, spans all of that, you know, spans from uh, prevention all the way through, you know, assessment, treatment, reduction of harm, et cetera. And so being able to begin to explain that to prevention staff and say, hey, you know, we really need to hook up around this. They've been great. I mean, we've had a few uh, people who have really um, worked closely with us um, Anthony is one I can think of, and um, they've they've kind of had a little bit of musical chairs there, so it's kind of moved around a bit about who's doing it, but what I really feel from them is that because of the time that you put in with them, the time that we put in with them, you know, they've reached out to Julie Hines and others around um, better understanding how uh, prevention can be done for problem gambling for youth. And also, um, and I think they've also sort of begin begun to take in the message around gaming um, as well, which Tana mentioned. And so it's in their mind. They know it's not actually yet part of their work, but I, I, did have a meeting, um, I think it was about a a month ago with one of the people from um, the prevention unit, uh, Billy Reamer, and he's been working on actually laying out based on uh, prevention models, what pieces of problem gambling for youth touch on other work that they're doing in prevention. And so I feel like that's been really successful, uh, largely because of the inclusion of ECPG in that process, because I don't know much about prevention. I'm not a prevention specialist. I've never worked in that realm. So um, yeah, so I I think that has been a great collaboration. I'd be interested to to see um, what happens in the future.
1: I think another area that's become very important, obviously, it's always been important, but it's probably really risen in the last few years because of what's happening in our society overall is the interest in social justice and mental health equity. And I think part of what Roxanne was saying, getting out of the silos and really integrating so that we are addressing whole person issues. And that means bringing in the mental health profession, bringing in psychologists, not just substance use disorder professionals, but people, primary care physicians, people who are counselors in schools, people who are faith-based counselors, bringing everybody together and also making a commitment to meet people where they are when it comes to not only evidence-based practices, because clearly that's important in our field. It's part of what has given us the ability to get some recognition at the federal level, even though we're not getting the funding yet. We're seen as a bona fide field now, but we also need to remember the culturally-based issues, and in Washington, we're such a rich diverse culture and you can see that back to the problem gambling task force you can see that in our partnerships you can see that in our advisory community advisory committees that we have now whether it's asian american pacific islander or latinx or lgbtq or people with disabilities or the black community or obviously the native american community in washington we touch all those groups and we need them to touch us because we're not the experts they are. And we need to listen to them as to what works to help their communities in need at the prevention level, at the treatment level, and at the recovery maintenance level. So that's really exciting to see that happening in our state. And we had another joint program that I think speaks to that. And that was with HCA, with ECPG, with our Latinx Community Advisory Committee, our campaign that went out our outreach materials that went out our award winning materials and we have a website now that it features a special area for that so I'm excited to see us moving more and more into that arena as well.
2: Yeah, I wanted to comment a little bit on a couple of things you said. Uh, this dovetails nicely with—I um, don't know if you're aware of this—but HCA, Healthcare Authority, launched in 2021 um, a very intentional initiative to put social and health equity at the forefront of all of our programs. And so, I'm really excited about that. I'm really happy about that because I have felt that we needed that to be able to give time for that focus in our programs. And so I'm excited to see how that's going to transform our work at HCA. It's still, um, you know, we're still in the training period thinking about what that means, but um, I think it's really important. So that's one initiative. The second is around the integration that you were talking about. Um, One of the pieces that we've been working on within HCA is how, if and how um, to cover um, problem gambling treatment, under Medicaid, which would be Apple Health in Washington state. We know that there are a couple of other states that have done this. Um, And I just spoke with Greta Coe at Oregon yesterday and that's an issue they're working on as well. And they're hoping for January, 2023. So a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of thinking about this. It's figuring out the details, devils in the details, but I feel really optimistic at this point that um, this will help us Um, have that integration that you had spoken of, that's not just around um, behavioral health, but also around coverage in general. So, um, yeah, those are a couple of ways that I'm seeing it from my side. So it's really interesting to hear about um, that that your organization is touching all these other places as well. So I think continuing to work um, together is super important.
1: Those are really exciting. That's great.
0: And I think we can't talk about great moments of 2021 without also mentioning the amount of training that we have invested in and been able to provide for for me personally. Um, That's a a really proud moment. So we we pivoted to 100% virtual trainings really in 2020, but we kept it up and even amped it up, so to speak, in 2021 and actually launched a few new programs. Our 30-hour gambling counselor core training, we launched as a fully, which historically was a a, a four-day intensive in-person straight through thing. We completely reformatted it into a hybrid of 10-hour self-directed 20 hours live webinar and have launched that twice and what that has done is really opened the door for uh, some more convenience for providers to be able to attend that amount of hours to be able to attend virtually uh, plus uh, providers out of state who their states might not have a robust gambling counselor core training program, but they can attend ours and it's approved for the international license. And so we're able to help get providers, even in other States, which is still a boon for our field and a, and a boon for getting help to people who need it, which is fantastic. And, um, we launched a brand new gaming training twice foundations and gaming disorder. So that those who want to specialize and starting to be able to integrate gaming counseling services into their programs or into their practices or pursue a uh, some kind of a credential on that, which is through IGCCB and, and, and might continue to develop, develop there. Um, so just from the attendance and, and feedback we get on our training evaluations has been super, super helpful. And, um, and a lot of the feedback we've gotten on our, on our training evaluations has been used to further enhance the next program for the next group. So those really, they really do get read and they really do. Used. <laughs> we really appreciate that feedback from everybody. Um, and of course, thank you to HCA, uh, Roxanne, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I always review what we get back on our training evaluations. And every once in a while, I'll see a comment that comes through that says something on, along the lines of, I wouldn't have been able to take this training had it not been for the scholarship. And uh, credit to HCA for helping to fund those training scholarships, because they really have uh, made a big difference for a lot of people who have attended. Yeah, that's great to hear. Um,
2: I know that um, I'm amazed by how ECPG has, turned all of that training into online. I know it wasn't done overnight and it was a lot, a lot of work, but it's very impressive. And and it's sort of like you were forced into this situation to do this and yet it's gonna have so many positive repercussions uh, because of, you know, being able to reach people in other places. And um, we're also moving toward a model where many of us may continue to work at home either completely or, you know, in some way. Also, it allows, um, one of the things that I remember running into in the past in terms of training with community uh, behavioral health organizations especially, is they have a small amount of funding for training, and so they can't always afford to send, unfortunately, their clinician for a number of days of training to a place, pay, you know, I know that there are scholarships that help pay for their hotel and all of that, but even so, it's still an expense either to the individual and or to the organization, and there's also that, um, you know, time spent Traveling, time spent not at the office, and so I think that um, this going to on the online versions of these different trainings really allows a wider variety of folks, especially in areas that might um, have you know minimal number of clinicians that if you took a clinician out of an agency, that would be the clinician. So that's not really an option for that person to go away. I think having the online training makes it possible to really expand that training to, you know, possibly rural areas or areas where that are, you know, unfortunately, traditionally underfunded for mental health, um, you know, maybe don't have any additional funding for training where, you know, a, a... Another agency that's larger that might have a you know more funding, could send a couple of people. So it is really a, an equity issue as well. And I, I know it wasn't necessarily intended that way, but I'm I I'm sure that was in the back of your minds when you were thinking about it and have been thinking about it. So um, kudos to you, to you all. Yeah.
1: Well, I think it has always been important to us, and I know to you to break down barriers where there have been barriers. And so we agree we learned a lot in the last two years with regard to the online and the self-directed trainings and we have made a commitment that we will continue some online and self-directed trainings throughout the year and we will always dedicate one of our multi-day trainings to an online virtual format as well for those very reasons i think we've also made a commitment which is sometimes difficult because, as nonprofits and as state agencies, we're limited in our funding. And we appreciate those funds that do come in for those who can afford to pay for their trainings. But we also recognize how important the overall awareness is. So, in this year, we've been able to spin off some of the key sessions from each of those trainings onto our YouTube. And so now people can, they won't be able to get CEUs or continuing education for it necessarily. But if they want the education and they want to hear from a Lori Rugel or they want to hear from an expert on a particular topic, they'll have that opportunity at no cost. And we think that's a really important thing to move forward. The other area where it's made a really big difference and I think the general public doesn't often think about this because clearly our our first goals are in the prevention and treatment and awareness and recovery, but how important it is to train members of the gaming industry as well. And this year I'm really proud. We have two tribal casinos who are about to complete their responsible gaming training certification for their supervisors and managers and their frontline staff. And that has moved to a fully virtual and self-directed format. If you can imagine having thousands of people needing to take a training, you can't just pull them all out of their jobs to go to a training. So that has made that possible. And I think we'll see that moving forward. Roxanne and I were just talking via email earlier today and yesterday about the fact that now with the statewide self-exclusion program for house banked card rooms and the lottery and for tribal casinos that want to participate, They're going to be mandated to have this kind of responsible gaming training for their staff, which is a big deal again most states have not gone that route. So this will allow them at least one option, among others to look at as an opportunity to provide that training for their staff.
2: Yeah, I'm really excited about that Maureen. Um, I'm super thrilled that you already have that training online so that as the Gambling Commission is thinking about how to meet that need, help uh, operators meet that need, um, they will have you as a resource to come to. And um, it, it really, it really in a funny way, set the stage for that. And I don't know that anybody expected it to happen quite so quickly or easily. I'm very pleased. And it sounds like those, um, those rules for the voluntary um, new statewide voluntary self-exclusion program. Um, as you know, they just passed the Gambling Commission for final action yesterday. So now I believe it's moving into the last phase of public comment. And that is that is great. I know that they are um, have a current plan that the Gambling Commission will open that program on May 1st of 2022. So they're going to be doing a lot of prep on that. And that's part of what we've been emailing about as well. Um, yeah, so I, I think I think, it's, I think that, that responsible gaming training will be a great thing. And I'm wondering, do you, you said that you're doing, um, uh, you've been doing some trainings online with a couple of tribal casinos. Do you see that as a, something that might continue in the future?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, not only with tribal casinos, but we've also had Maverick Gaming here in the state of Washington, which is the largest commercial gaming operator in our state outside of the Washington state lottery, which is a state agency. And they have also started the program. So we're working with them and they have um, properties in all across the state, Eastern, Western Washington, Southwest Washington. So we see it already happening with the house bank card rooms as well.
0: Mm -hmm. And not just that, if, if I can say this, I guess, like, so, even one of the tribal casinos, while the casino staff were getting their responsible gaming training, the behavioral health clinic was getting problem gambling training at this around the same time period. Right. And it was this beautiful symbiotic relationship of let's care for our our guests and our clients start to finish and, and back again, it was just really, really well done.
1: It wasn't, it was Kudos really, way. really a trifecta to use a gambling <laughs> term because their tribal gaming authority, their regulatory arm was working with us on updating their self-exclusion program That's right. as well. So those are all things that our goal is to do just that, to get the gaming Managers and the regulatory authority and the behavioral health folks, and I would even add the tribal courts, if possible, to all work together so that they can immediately provide information and access to treatment right there through their own behavioral health programs. They can immediately provide security and advice. On, in terms of the self-exclusion program and what steps need to be taken. And they can work with the tribal court system so that when people do come before the court, because of an issue that stems in part or in, in total from their gambling behaviors, that there's an understanding of how to deal with that and how to work together and get that person the care they need. That I think is a key part of moving away from that stigma of looking at people with a gambling addiction as criminals. They're not. They're human beings with a health issue, a mental health and behavioral health issue. And not only does it impact them, it impacts their family. It impacts in some cases, their employers. So really working as a whole to get that person the help they need so that they can get away from the disease and back to being a whole productive human being is where we're going.
0: And if I could share a little example of something in one of our manager supervisor trainings, and I don't remember which agency this training was for, but in a conversation about, you know, can a person actually, you know, can a casino staff member point out, a guest that has problem gambling or gambling disorder, right? Can they spot it? And some people like, oh yeah, I can tell, but the reality is no, they can't. And as a clinician, I was able to say, actually, there are things that mimic gambling disorder. There are medications that can mimic gambling disorder. There are mental health conditions like manic episodes that can mimic gambling disorder. I said, even a trained clinician Has to work very hard in a full blown assessment to properly diagnose, assess, and rule out other things. So it's not as easy as just being able to spot it. You know, your job is to just express when you have a concern, and then they're connected to resources and let the professional do the diagnosing. And it was this great moment of seeing their facial expressions and seeing everything click into place like, oh, oh, you know, like, oh, this is making perfect sense now, right? And it's like, yeah, I can totally do that. I'm happy to express when I have concern about guests because, you know, a lot of them, they get to know the regulars. They know them by name and they care about them. And if they're uh, showing some signs of emotional distress or something, it, it, it bothers them. So being able to have a plan in place to say, hey, here's who on my team. Here's the supervisor I can talk to. Here's what they would want to hear from me. Here's how they're going to respond to that guest. I know we have resources available should they need it. I know we're not going to you know, handle it poorly. We've got good training for this. It just, it's nice to see them feel very comfortable and happy that this is in place and they're taking care of their guests. It's just like, you know, the alcohol industry has things to restrict underage drinking or can cut someone off or, you know, call rides and things like that to protect their guests as well. And and this is something kind of similar to that
1: and for the employees themselves. I think that has been, for many, I see the light bulbs go off when they recognize that their employer is not going to discriminate against them if they, in fact, have a problem with gambling and will instead work with their employee assistance programs and work with their counselors and and find ways to support their staff because we know that employees within the gambling industry are at very high risk for gambling disorder themselves. So it's nice to see that change, that an employee doesn't feel scared or feel like their job is in jeopardy if they have a problem themselves.
0: So we've touched on a few things that are coming to 2022, and I think we can probably unpack that. We've mentioned the self-exclusion, the statewide self-exclusion is getting... Finalized and rolling out for state card rooms, lottery, and tribal casinos can opt in. We've talked about um uh, sports wagering has been a conversation with the problem gambling task force that's already rolled out and continues to develop. And we just um had uh Draft Kings and Cara Fox LaRose with the A A casino on our podcast. Uh, that was the last episode, which was on sports wagering and the prevalence study. We should have the analysis and some results from that uh, coming to us in the next year. What are some other things you two are looking forward to?
2: Well, we also, I mean, just going back for a moment to this online gaming, online gambling piece, um, there are a couple of things that I'm excited to learn more about. One is um, we were able to have a two-part question accepted for the 2021 Healthy Youth Survey. And I believe that's going on right now. Um, Data for that should be available later next year. And the question for youth is around, um, you know, are you, have you gambled in the past 12 months and gambling is defined a little bit more broadly than it had been in the past when that question's been answered. I think the last time was like, I don't know, 2016, maybe it's been a long time. Um, and it, it, it was expanded. The definition was expanded to say, you know, could be on mobile device, could be, um, you know, mobile app games, et cetera. And then the second part of the question is, if you have been gambling, are you, um, have you experienced any negative impacts? And it mentioned school, friends, work, family, or not work, school, school, friends, family, hopefully not work at that, at that age. Um, And I think it will be really interesting to see how that, how that, dovetails with what we see in the prevalence study with the questions that were added by the problem gambling task force. Um, that wasn't part of the original mandate of the items that were going to be covered in the, in the prevalence study that was required by the legislature. Uh, But um, the problem gambling task force felt that it's such an emerging issue and related issues to it that that they wanted to include some questions and it did say in the um, mandate for the task force that they could look at any other emerging issues so. Uh, very excited to see what we learn about that, and I, I, I'm anticipating that there will be a recommendation, at least one recommendation in the final um, Ledge report to in next November for further exploration by the legislature around this topic. Um, and, I, and I think that that piece around um, educating legislators is a piece that's really important. I know that I've been with um, Julia, uh, Commissioner Julia Patterson recently um, last couple of weeks ago we were presenting before the um, House Committee on Commerce and Gaming with an update of what the Problem Gambling Task Force has been doing. And um, I think continuing to reach out to legislators in whatever format we can. Is, is super important because that will set the stage for the information they'll be receiving in a, you know, a little
0: less than a year from now. Let me just fill in our listeners real quick why we're getting excited about research questions. Okay, because <laughs> <laughs> to, to people who don't know the backstory, they're gonna be like, Okay, so you're asking some kids about gambling. What is the big deal on this, right? So while there are some amazing individuals and agencies doing research in the field of problem gambling around the world, it is a constant, um, you know, desire, need to get research on specific things, whether it's specific to a group like youth or seniors or specific to co-occurring disorders or to a specific region, et cetera. So to be able to get Um, Some questions on the healthy youth survey in Washington state, specific to youth, specific to gambling. This is a great thing to have the prevalence study in Washington state, specific to gambling and problem gambling and include gaming questions. This is a big deal. So yes, we are super excited about this. So everybody should be very, very excited for this new research. Oh, and let me add one more thing while I'm geeking out over research for a second, right? Is that um, another struggle is diversity inclusiveness in the research and data that is collected. And one of the things that was kind of nice being kind of in the background, but kept in the loop as the prevalence study was going is the efforts made to get that survey study out to people who don't speak English and to diverse populations and that it was offered in, in Spanish. And there were, they were able to analyze going through and then pivot their way to, uh, continue to get the survey out to the populations that were at that point being underrepresented. And so it was really um, a pleasure to see those efforts being done because as as Maureen was talking about earlier, there's a lot of efforts going on for amping up diversity, inclusiveness, and in research it's notoriously been hard to collect (laughs) to get that that data and stuff.
2: Yeah, if I can jump in for a moment. um... What do we do with all that data? I mean, the data is interesting, but is it just to look at? No, actually, the data is for uh, a very specific purpose. Well, it's for several, but the, probably the most important one right now is that legislators want data. If they're going to make legislative change or revise something or add a new program, they want to know that it's based on data showing that there is definitely a need. So it's not enough to come forward and say, yeah, we think there's a need for this. And they say, well, where's your numbers? And we would say, oh, we don't have any. We'll come back to you. We do so now. We will have numbers that we'll be able to put behind any requests that come forward or recommendations for additional funding for additional, um, you know, program-related services. There's a, you know, a number. There's like a couple dozen recommendations right now that will be, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we'll be looking at the data and then looking at the recommendations and seeing how they do or don't back, you know back each other up in terms of what would be recommended. Um, So so that's a really critical piece. Other uses for the data are um, to help the state program to help ECPG, to help other partners, um, other agencies, other organizations understand uh, where services are across the state, where they're not, where the gaps are. And then we were also collecting, as you mentioned, Tana, you know, information about demographics, including race, ethnicity, age, gender, and some other things, um, as well as a prevalence of co-occurring disorders, uh, mental health and substance use disorder, um, issues that are coming up um, correlated with gambling, problem gambling specifically. And then also, we were asked to look at beliefs and opinions about gambling and then awareness of uh, problem gambling treatment and resources. So, all of that together, I think, will be very useful data. And I'm hoping I know it's hard to get excited about data, but I am excited about it. And I'm glad you're excited about it
1: too, Tana. <laughs> it's particularly exciting because research is not inexpensive treatment is not inexpensive outreach when you're talking about media is not inexpensive so for a field that has probably less funding than any other mental health field to be able to do any of this kind of work is really exciting and to be able to make recommendations for the future to ensure there's funding for continued research. Because as we've said, going from 1998 to 2001 for a prevalence study doesn't do you a lot of good. You need baselines that you can follow up on so you can see how did COVID impact? How did the expansion into sports wagering impact? And you can't do that unless you're continuing to do research on a regular basis. One of the areas we're excited in 2022 to be doing some research on is a survey around kind of a use and needs assessment on our helpline because our helpline is a wonderful tool. Um, It's it's crucial, it's vital, it's 24 seven. There's no cost to the person who is using the helpline services. It is in different languages. It includes phone, text and chat. What it has never included that we've always wanted to, and this is one of my, if I can do this while I'm still in the field, I will feel like I've accomplished something amazing is to bring a warm transfer to our helpline so that someone who has finally been courageous enough to make a call for help, which isn't an easy step to make, gets to someone who can help them immediately they're not just getting to a call center they're getting to a counselor or they're getting to a recovery or peer coach they're getting to someone who can actually talk to them and help them take that next step which may be treatment for some it may be harm reduction for others but whatever it is We need to do that immediately because we know that you lose people. So 2022 is the year that we hope to complete the research and to start a warm transfer program with our helpline in Washington. It dovetails nicely with some work being done at the national level with national call centers and working to try to get something similar to the 911 number so that you can use Geofencing that will allow you that if if I'm calling from my phone, which happens to be a Washington state area code, but I'm currently in Pennsylvania, I don't want to connect to Washington, I want to connect to Pennsylvania, and so we need to find new ways. The beautiful thing about technology is it helps us do that. The tough thing about technology is that it can be a pandora's box when it comes to our field when it comes to addiction so that's an area that i'm very very excited about the other is that we hope to launch um, in may a scholarship program because we also know that it's very difficult as it is now to get enough counselors in our field and we want to encourage young people who are studying in Washington state colleges and universities to complete their degrees in psychology or counseling or social work, and then to make a commitment to including gambling disorder and gaming disorder as part of their practice. So we're looking at a scholarship to help them fulfill their dream of getting their degree and then fulfill some commitment back to the people that they serve. And I would add one last one, and then I I will let somebody else jump in. But um, when we talk about gaming this year, as Tana mentioned, we had the foundations in gaming disorder training, which dovetailed nicely with the International Gambling Counselor Certification Board's new certificate for an International Gambling Counselor Certificate. That training allowed people all over the country, and we encourage counselors in Washington to take that training. Next year, they will be expanding that. It will go from a 15-hour course to a 30-hour plus course, and it will be a full certification. We will expand our training to meet that need so that people can get that full certification, and we hoped to launch our first treatment reimbursement contract with Restart here in Washington State. We're very fortunate in our state to have one of the premier and one of the very few dedicated gaming, video gaming disorder um, treatment facilities. And we hope to be able to contract with them to reimburse, to allow our counselors to refer people to that gaming treatment as well. So some exciting things coming up in the new year.
2: Yeah, you reminded me, um, Maureen, that the Healthcare Authority DBHR has launched um, this fall this new web page called StartYourPath.org. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, I just learned about it myself recently. Um, so it's StartYourPath.org, and what it is is it, it's focused on a couple things. Uh, one of the it's focused on helping people who are um, either Going to enter college, or in college, or are in a transitory, you know, transitional phase with their careers. Um, so ages like eighteen to I think thirty-five, sort of the focus area, um, to consider a career, either a career or a career change into uh, uh, several specific behavioral health fields, um, including um, substance use professional is one of them, and this is based on identification by DBHR of where we're lacking um, clinicians. So it'd be interesting for you to take a look at that, but I also requested when I learned about that to meet with our communications unit manager in DBHR, Melissa Temke, and talk with her in January about how we can um, look at what they've done and how that might be, if there's any lessons learned there that, that that ECPG and you know, HCA can work together on to promote specifically around the problem gambling, you know, certification, certified gambling counselor certification. So I'll be reaching out to you about that. But I think it's um, it, it seems like everybody's on the same page, heading the same direction, and we just we're just working on that, um, you know, collaboration piece. And I'm excited to do more of that in 2022.
1: That is so exciting. I would love to find out how we can link on our website to them and once we get our scholarship forms up if there's a place we can put that on their site so people can find it that's just incredible news and i'm glad that we're all thinking the same way i I agree pulling us together so that we're walking down the path together i think would be fantastic
0: awesome roxanne i i know you have to go did you have anything else you wanted to add I just wanted to
2: express my appreciation for um, being included on this conversation. It's, it's exciting, even though we're frequently in communication, I got to hear about a couple of things that ECPG is working on initiatives that I didn't know about. And I hope I was able to share a couple that, that maybe you weren't familiar with. So uh, this just makes me feel, you know, very excited and positive about the work we're going to do in this next year. And um, maybe
0: at the end of next year, we can check in and see how we did. Awesome, I'm sure we will one way or another. We- <laughs>
1: yeah, and and I write back at you, Roxanne. I think that the relationship between our two programs has been really symbiotic i mean we we don't work in silos we do work together we have different things and we have different ways we have to go about it but i think that they complement each other so well we couldn't do the work we do without you and i hope that you feel like we enhance the work you do as well one of those areas that i would just like to last point out is the great work that again was in part because of this partnership that was done on our website in the last year Um, Again, award winning website. Congratulations and kudos to, to staff. I have to give Rob Montana and, and Kathy the bulk of the credit here for that. But we also had support from HCA to ensure that we had youth pages specifically dedicated on our site and a page specifically for the Washington State Gambling Counselor Certification Committee, which makes it much easier for counselors to find the information they need. So we really appreciate that. I think that we've learned that we have to continue to constantly update and improve our website because it is old the minute you launch a new one. So we're excited to have been doing that work this year and more to come in the year ahead.
2: Thank you for the opportunity to um, be here today. Thanks.
1: Thanks, Roxanne.
0: Thanks for listening to our podcast. Here's where to find us. You can learn more about the Evergreen Council on Problem Gambling on our website at www.evergreencpg.org. Also find us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube and Instagram. You can find out more about the Oregon Council on Problem Gambling at www.oregoncpg.org and also on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Please know that if you or a loved one is seeking help from problems caused by gambling, any shape, form, or fashion, you are not alone. Help is available. This is what we do for a living. So please, you can get help. You can access it easily 24-7 through the Washington Problem Gambling Helpline at 1-800-547-6133 or the Oregon Problem Gambling Helpline at one 877 my limit. That's one 877 Either of those helplines is available to call or text or by chat through our websites and can direct you to help services and resources near you. So please call. They're there to help talk and refer. There's help for anyone affected by problems caused by gambling, whether their own gambling or someone else's. And we love seeing people get the help they need to live the life they want. Uh, Looks like we lost time. There she is. That was totally user error. I misclicked and clicked myself right out of the meeting okay <laughs> <laughs> the little recording popped up that you know notice and, and I went to be like okay and my hand slipped and I signed out on accident